27. I grew up on a farm in, uh, am I on? There we go. I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. I saw the, the women's uh, study uh, video that you saw during announcements. I just have one question. What is a couch and a rug doing in a barn? <laughs> we had hay and straw. Anyways, um, I want to encourage you. We've been talking about this, but uh, the Immerse Bible, if you're not in a community group, this is something I highly encourage you to stop by a kiosk and learn more about it. And this is something that we're really encouraging people to incorporate in their uh, personal uh, devotions. And it's just a fantastic Bible. And it's something that I've been doing in this past week. That reading was in the, in the Gospel of Luke. And, and it's uh, been very rewarding for me. Well, it's been already been called the uh, worst mass shooting in American history. Uh, 59 people dead, over 500 injured in Las Vegas as people, as thousands of people danced and sang uh, at a country music festival. And the images and the stories are just horrific. And there's the story, for example, of a 29-year-old aspiring model, Doris Huser, who went to uh, Las Vegas, who went to the music festival with her 8-year-old daughter, Cordelia, and her 5-year-old son, Aiden and her 26-year-old sister named Samantha, who is mentally disabled. And they went there for just a great time. And they were enjoying themselves. And at one point, her uh, daughter, Cordelia, had to go to the bathroom. And the portable bathrooms were nearby. So she felt okay leaving Aiden with her sister. Uh, they just thought we'd be gone for a few minutes. So after coming back from the bathroom, all these gunshots rang out. And Doris will never forget some of the images that she saw as she was running and scrambling for safety and, and hit, the, hit the asphalt with her daughter, uh, she came across a woman whose eyes were vacant, who was whispering, I've been shot. And then as Doris and her daughter got up and made their way to the spot where her sister and her son uh, were, uh, she saw a lady in a wheelchair tipped over and people leaping over her in a frantic uh, effort to get out of there. And then also when she got to the spot where Aiden and Samantha were, they were gone. And Doris said it was the worst feeling. It's the feeling that, that uh, every parent wants to avoid, this sickening feeling, this uh, stomach-wrenching feeling when your child is gone. And she was able to locate Samantha, but Aiden was gone. And Samantha had no idea where he went. And Doris, for hours, had no idea what happened to her five-year-old son, Aiden. Fortunately, Aiden had been scooped up because he got injured and bruised by getting knocked over by some of the people who were running. And someone scooped him up and, and put him in an ambulance. He ended up in a hospital nearby. But it wasn't for hours, though. Doris had no idea. In fact, what happened is that nurses took pictures of Aiden and actually put it on Facebook. And who's, whose son is this? And that's how Doris located Aiden. But you, you can imagine if you're a parent that sickening feeling in your stomach. And there's no words to describe what's occurred this past week. There isn't. There's no words. And many people are asking the question, why? Why did God allow this to happen? But at the same time, this event also uh, contributes or adds to the everyday pain and suffering and disappointment that you and I experience at different times. There's illness, there's abuse, there's broken relationships, there's betrayal, there's sorrow, there's injuries, there's disappointment, there's heartache, there's crime, there's death. And maybe you've been asking the question, 
in your own life. Why me? Why now? Writer and author Lee Strobel several years ago actually commissioned a national survey to ask Americans, Christian or not, if you had one opportunity to ask God a question, what would it be? And this question outranked all others. It wasn't even close. Why is there evil and suffering in this world? Why is there evil and suffering in this world? And the why question is not something new, is it? A man named Job, thousands of years ago, asked that question of God when he was going through a very difficult ordeal in his life. The psalmist in the Old Testament, in their poetry, asked the same question, Why, God? Why? And the 20th century is, is very pertinent to this question as well. We've seen two world wars. We've seen the Holocaust. We've seen the genocide in Africa and China. We have seen uh, ethnic cleansing in Kosovo. We've seen AIDS. And the 21st century wasn't any, any better. We began the century with, with 9-11. Why do bad things happen? Why is there suffering in this world? And this is a question that I'm going to dive into this morning, and there's a number of sources that have leaned on for this, uh, mainly Lee Strobel, uh, Jurgen Moltmann, uh, R.C. Strott, and a number of others who've really helped me with this series because these are really difficult questions. And a couple of my good friends over at Bethel Seminary. And this gets in the area of, of looking at God as good and great and also the presence of evil in this world. The, the, theo, the theological term is theodicy. It's the, stuff, the, the study of suffering and evil in this world. And we're in this series, as we begin this morning, called FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions. So we're going to ask this question, and I'm going to provide some responses to it. And then also in upcoming weeks, I want to encourage you to bring friends or family or coworkers as we dive into other questions, tough questions of God, tough questions of Christianity. For instance, why are there so many religions in this world? What happens to me after I die? How do I know the Bible is actually true and reliable? Those are some of the questions that we're going to tackle during this month in November. But back to the why question. Why is there suffering in this world? And Jesus, unlike some religious leaders, did not dodge that question. He said, it's going to happen. This is inevitable. You can count on it. He, he says this in John chapter 16, verse 33. Let's take a look at this passage. John chapter 16, verse 33. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And you, you can follow along with your Bible app, or perhaps you can just follow along with your slides. You also have teaching notes, too. I encourage you to follow along. John 16, 33. And this is, a, this is a actually a response to one of his disciples as they're asking him uh, some questions. In verse 33, pick it up. I have told you all this so that you, have, you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So he's very real. He's very honest. He's not dodging the question. There's going to be sorrows and there's going to be trials. But if you were to ask me, why did God allow this man to uh, have a hotel room and then even earlier rent out the entire level of that hotel room overlooking where that festival was going to be, why did God allow that, that gunman to spray so many bullets and to have 20-some rifles? Why did he allow that to happen? And, and my, my response right away is four words. I don't know. I do not know. First Corinthians has reminded me this past week, in chapter 13, verse 12, this is, the, this is the message translation. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it 
all as clearly as God sees it. So sometime, at some point, we're actually going to see things and understand it, but from our finite perspective, we're not going to be able to understand things. Things are going to be a bit foggy. Things are going to be a bit unclear. And when it comes to this kind of question, this is one of those questions. It's a bit foggy. And quite honestly, the people suffering right now in Las Vegas, they don't need a big theological statement. What they really need is the presence and the comfort of Jesus Christ in their lives. And a number of churches and a number of Christians have actually went, have gone into Las Vegas to really come among those people and bring healing to that city, which is fantastic. Yet at the same time, it's important for us to grapple with that question. Why? Why do bad, bad things happen? Even though we can't understand everything about it, I believe that we can understand some things about it. Let's kind of share, share with you a story that will help with us. Um, a number of years ago, I took my kids to Montana on a road trip to see my sister who lives out there. And we had a four-wheel drive Jeep Cherokee. We left in February, and we thought we'd be okay. We checked the forecast, and then on the way to, to Portland, it was absolutely beautiful. I mean, once you get past North Dakota, everything just changes, right? It's just beautiful. Uh, but, and we had a great time in Portland, and uh, some, some interesting stories I'll share another time. But, uh, then, and then coming back, though, we were uh, trying to get to Bozeman because we had a hotel room reserved. And all of a sudden, a, sto- a snowstorm came in, and it was, it was late at night, and we're up on the mountains. If you've driven in, in uh, near Bozeman, there's no guardrails on the sides. It's, it's, when it snows, you can barely see. And this snowstorm came in fast, and it was swirling. And I was scared. I was. Especially when the 18-wheel uh, trucks come, uh, trailers go by, and all of a sudden they kick up that snow. I mean, there was a couple of moments where I couldn't see at all. I was just keeping it straight. Keep it straight, Craig. Keep it straight. I had no idea. I, I couldn't even see the size of the road either. But this big 4x4 truck, must have been a Ford, came up alongside me, passed me up, and he must have had really good lights and a, maybe some fog lamps and great tires because he was driving at a very confident and deliberate pace. And I said to myself, I just got to follow his taillights. I can't see much right now. I can't see the side of the road, but if I just follow his taillights, I'll get to Bozeman. I'll get to Bozeman. In the same way, I think that as we look to the Bible, the Bible can offer some lights for us, some lights to understand, to bring some conclusions on this topic of why evil and suffering happens. We're not going to understand everything. We're not going to see everything. But I think there's some lights that we can follow in understanding this, this question. The first light is this. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. That, it's very important for us to understand that. He did not create evil and suffering. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God looked over all that he made, and he said, ah, it was mediocre. It was okay. No, it was very good. Tov meod. It's one of the highest compliments in the Hebrew language. It's very good. So from the, right from the get-go, God created very, the the goodness in life. He's not the author of tragedy, of evil, or death. So how did this happen? Well, how did it happen is that when God created humanity, and in humanity, the opportunity to love. Love is risky. Because with love is freedom of choice. When God created humanity, they had the opportunity to love him back. He couldn't force them to love him back. There's freedom, there's free will in how they would respond to God. 
couldn't make them do that. It was like when Alex, my son, was little, he had this Barney doll. And, and Barney would sing, I love you, you love me. We're one happy... There you go. You guys are so good. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did Barney love my son? No. He's programmed. Maybe when Alex was young, he probably thought Barney loved him, but later on he figured out the technology of that doll. But, but yeah, he's, he's programmed. In the same way, you and I are not programmed to love back to God or to love our neighbor as ourself. We have a choice. And in that choice, that's where evil and sin and suffering came in this world, is by our freedom of choice. Love is a risky thing. It, must, it might be the riskiest thing there is. And the, and the question then emerges in my mind, couldn't God foresee all this? Didn't he see this way ahead of time? And no doubt he did. But let me put it this way, especially for you parents, you know this, that, that before you had children, you could foresee the very possibility that you may suffer disappointment or pain or heartache in your life, or that your kids might even walk away from you and hurt you. But, but for you and your spouse, it was worth it because of the tremendous joy and exhilaration and the love that you would have. It's the same way with God. Is that the very real possibility of joy and excitement and beauty in this world? And he took that risk. Real love is always risky. The second light is this. Through those, though suffering isn't good, God can use it to accomplish good. A passage that we spent some time in a couple of years ago in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I invite you to turn to that. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And this is a promise of God in terms of when things ha- bad things happen in our lives, what He can do. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know God, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Underline that phrase, everything to work together for the good. God can accomplish good out of heartache. God can accomplish good out of evil and suffering. And, and notice in this verse, it doesn't say that we all will see immediately, or even in this life, how God takes a bad circumstance and turns it to good, but he promises that he will. Again, we can only see dimly. We can only see a little bit of the light of the truck in front of us. We can't see the size of the road. We can see dimly, and we can see that in some way God is going to bring things together. And you might say to yourself, no, he can't bring good out of my circumstance. He can't bring good out of my, out of my uh, pain. It's too extreme. It's too, it's too hard. But if you doubt, doubt God's promise, as one person remind me, that God took the very, very worst thing that ever happened in the history of the universe. And that was the death of God on the cross, Jesus Christ. And he took that and he turned it into the very best thing in this world. Opened up heaven to all who would follow him. So God can take the bad and turn it to good beyond our imagination. Next, third light. This is important. You may have never thought about this before, but we worship a God who suffers. Jürgen Moltmann, the great German theologian, um, brought this, this theology, this perspective, into uh, popular, uh, popularity in terms of uh, in theology on a book called The Suffering God. And uh, Abraham Heschel, 
a Jewish rabbi says that, that God takes the people of his, that he loves so seriously in the Old Testament, but he suffers for it. In fact, he is so close to the Israelites, and in a way he indwells that community, as we read about that in the Old Testament, and over and over they break his heart. And don't think for a second that God does not feel that. Hosea 11.8 Oh, how can I give up on you, Israel? How can I let you go? My heart is torn from me. And my compassion overflows. Underlying that phrase, my heart is torn with me. This is a God who has suffered and suffers. Don't think for a second that the tragedy in Las Vegas, that God was somewhere else. That God was remote in some other galaxy, taking a nap. And perhaps has his alarm clock set and when the end of the world uh, is going to happen, the alarm clock goes off. That's deism. No, this is a God who is very much on the streets of Las Vegas and suffering with every person and what was going on there. Eli Weisel, the Jewish survivor of the Holocaust in the famous book called Night, who actually won the Nobel Peace Prize, he talked about this, that the opposite of love is not hatred, it's indifference. And in his book Night, and I encourage you to read that, it's a, it's a easy read. It's painful, it's poignant, but it's his experience as a young boy actually being in the Holocaust in a concentration camp. And he says if God was indifferent, he could not love. And this is made plain in the book Night because uh, Weisel talks about the concentration camp. And he talks about, in his book, he, he writes this, that all the prisoners, he said, were paraded before the gallows um, all the prisoners were paraded before the gallows to witness the, the horrifying spectacle of watching sometimes their father, but watching men being killed, being gassed. And he writes this, The men died quickly, but the death rows of the youth lasted for half an hour. Where is God? Where is he? Someone asked me behind me. As the youth still hung in torment in the noose after a long time, I heard the man call again, Where is God? And I heard a voice in myself answer, Where is he? He is here. He is hanging there in the gallows. It's a God who suffers. And Moltmann says any other answer would be blasphemous. God suffers. This reminds me of a story of a person I know that when he was eight years old and he lost his father to cancer, and a week after his burial, this, this kid became severely ill, and the pain in his body eventually caused some paralysis. And he remembered how his mom, who was newly widowed, cared for him. And she didn't discuss with him how she felt. She wanted to care for her boy. And she instinctively took him into her arms and caressed his back and tried to make him feel better. And pretty soon he got more sick. And he had to be hospitalized. But because of where they lived, and they didn't have an automobile at that time, it was a 10-mile walk to the nearest hospital. So that mother took her son and carried him on her back, 10 miles to the hospital, walking up and down hills with tears streaming down her streaks, her cheeks. And she said, son, daddy is not here, but mommy is still here. I will get you to the hospital. We'll make it to the hospital. And that mother suffered as she brought her son, the weight of her son, carrying her son for 10 miles. Can you imagine something like this? This confirms what Bonhoeffer talks about, that only the suffering God can help us. Only the suffering God can help us as we deal with this question, why do bad things happen? 
Oh, how can I give up on you, Israel? How can, how can I let you go? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. My heart is torn within me. God's heart is torn right now for what's happened in Las Vegas. God's heart is torn for you as you deal with your own challenges and illnesses and heartache. God's heart tears and hurts for you. And I think we ought to remember the cross. As you look at the cross behind me, one author writes this, that the crucified Jesus is the only accurate picture of God the world has ever seen. Because it's the sight of Jesus on the cross that discloses God as the one who suffers with humanity. And it reminds me of a great hymn by Johann Rist, a Good Friday hymn. And he writes this, O oh, great distress, God himself lies dead. He died upon the cross. In this he won the kingdom of heaven for the love of us. A God who suffered and suffers. And in your teaching notes, we have this statement, if it were not the very God himself who became sin and suffered for us, what hope of life is left? What God, can participate, what God cannot participate in, he cannot redeem. If God has not entered into our suffering and death, then there is no hope for redemption of our pain. There's no redemption of our pain. Next, the fourth light. The day is coming. When suffering will cease and God will judge evil. And I think for us, we have this universal sense that, that when we see um, atrocities like this happen, that there will be an accounting. That those people, that man, others who have, have caused uh, awful evil and suffering in the history of our world, will be held accountable for their actions. Don't think for a second that these things happen and that God doesn't take notice. Ecclesiastes 3.17 In due season God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. It's important for us to understand that. To know that in due season that God will judge. And you might ask the question, okay, then why does he end things now? Why do we continue in this world that seems to get worse and worse and worse, hurricanes more and more, these shootings more and more. Why doesn't he enter, enter in and usher in the new heavens and new earth? Why doesn't he do this? And it's a verse we looked at a couple weeks ago, Second Peter, Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is patient for your sake. For each person's sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. It's like somebody had a conversation this past week at a restaurant at, at, at Byerly's. And as we're having this conversation, this, this person was sharing that they're spiritually lost, they're seeking God, but they're really not ready yet to make that step. We had a very intriguing conversation. And it's like God is, is giving her some time, giving her some time to come to faith in Jesus because God dreams and loves and wants all people to come to faith in Him. He wants heaven to be overflowing. He wants heaven to be standing room only. He wants, he wants every person to come to faith in Him. That is His dream. That is His hope. And He's giving us more and more time for that to happen. But at some point, 
the day of judgment will come where people uh, will be judged on their actions. Last, the fifth light. And we have a decision to make. We can become cynical and bitter, or we can turn to God for peace and courage. We can become bitter, uh, cynical, and, or we can turn to God for peace and courage. When Jesus says this in John 16:33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Okay, when he says peace, he's not talking about the absence of conflict, obviously, in the context of that verse. He's saying have peace in me is that you'll have comfort in me. If you follow me, you will have peace. And then later on he says this, but take heart because I have overcome the world so that we can have this shalom peace with God. Is that even in the midst of evil and suffering, even in the midst of not being able to see things very clearly at times from our finite perspective, we still can have comfort and peace in God. Yes, we hurt. Yes, we anguish over that. But at the same time, we can take comfort in God because this peace that Jesus talks about is the shalom peace. I mean, back in the day of Jesus, it was actually a way they, they would align their lives to live in such a way, was to live in shalom peace. That was to be in right relationship with God, right relationship with those around them, right relationship with the created world, and also right relationship with themselves. And he offers that. We can have peace, and we can have courage from that. So we have a choice to make. And I want to encourage you to not give up on this world, to not give up on our culture, not give up on our country, not give up on this, what, the, what these things are happening right now. But roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves and do your part to bring love and to bring hope into your spheres of influences. To have conversations with people, perhaps on this topic, people who are really struggling with Maybe it's Las Vegas, or maybe it's something in their, in their own life. Maybe it was the fact that they had a miscarriage, or they lost their child at birth, or what have you. Loss of a job. Why do these things happen? And maybe for you, God wants you to kind of step into that and, and be a person who listens and prays. And yeah, you don't have all the answers, but to come alongside them in doing so that they know they're not alone that they're not alone. Instead of being cynical and bitter, you can be a person that steps in and comes alongside somebody to comfort them. To say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in your corner and I am going to be praying for you and I'm available to you and just love on them. And as you do, even in the midst of the darkness and the evil in this world, as we do that, we have these ripple effects. We have these ripples of love that begin to happen in our world. And we ought to be mindful that one day this will all end. As Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Evil and suffering does not get the last word. Las Vegas does not get the last word. This madman who killed 59 people does not get the last word. Jesus Christ does. When he said, I will overcome the world, he knows the final score. He knows the final score. And yeah, these things are happening right now, but the final score up in the, up in the lights there, it's, it's Jesus winning. 
So for us to take comfort in that, that He is victorious, and that one day the entire world will know that. I think for us to realize so much of who God is and what He is like in the midst of this. Let me finish this story. So driving through Montana, so we're following the taillights of this, this truck, and it was interesting because as we, we came down, into the, if you come down into Bozeman, you come down the, the, the mountain there, the hill, whatever, and, and you see the, the little city there, and it's all lit up, all these lights. And it's like we came out of this darkness and we came into the city of, of, of lights. It was so beautiful. And I remember as we drove down to our hotel in Bozeman uh, that right by our hotel was a church. And right there was a cross lit up. It reminds me, that in this situation, that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ triumphs. And that we can know that even in the midst of darkness is that Jesus, in what he gave, in what he offers, will be victorious. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we come to a very heady topic and there's just not easy answers to this. But at the same time, God, help us not to sidestep it. In fact, let, help us with these questions to let, help it fester. Help it kind of allow it to marinate in, in our minds and our hearts. And to begin to have conversations with those around us. And to dig into your word and see it from your perspective. God, our heart, as Maple Grove Covenant here in Minnesota, goes out to the people and the families and the community of Las Vegas that have experienced this horrific and tragic loss. We weep with those who weep. Not for a second do we ignore this. Not for a second do we get too busy and we just kind of brush it off and say, well, it's just another shooting. Uh, We pause right now as a church community and our hearts break for the people and the families in the city. God, we look to you. Fill us, buoy us up with hope and with love. And in doing so, we reflect who you are and what you're like in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.